Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Laughter truly is the best medicine, and research proves it. Everything from boosting the immune system, combating depression, preventing heart disease, and even cancer. Could one of the reasons why so many people are sick today be from a lack of laughter? The increased polarization and diversiveness in society, coupled with politics and other social issues, have made it difficult for many to find humor in everyday situations. It's gotten so bad, some comedians are afraid to do comedy. TV shows I grew up watching, like The Honeymooners, All in the Family, Three's Company, and Benny Hill, would be considered too offensive today. Our next guest says we need to lighten up and laugh more, and I agree. Jim Pittock joins us to discuss his new book, Caught With My Pants Down. Don't go anywhere. This hilarity revival starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a writer, actor, and producer. He's appeared on Broadway and in many movies, including Independence Day, Lethal Weapon 2, The Prestige, Best in Show, Austin Powers and Goldmember, and Woody Allen's You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger. His TV credits include Modern Family, Two and a Half Men, Lost, Monk, Friends, ER, Mad About You, and The Drew Carey Show. He's co-wrote and starred in the HBO series Family Tree and Mascots for Netflix. And that's just an abbreviation version of his bio. His new book is called Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood. Welcome to the show, Jim Pittick. Thank you. That's quite an introduction. Yeah, so great to have you on the show. First, share with us what inspired you to write Caught With My Pants Down and the significance of that catchy title. Well, it's a metaphor, really, for my life. And it also happens to have happened twice. (laughs) There's one story in the book which is very specific about that. Just an embarrassing story, nothing that's worthy of an arrest. So it became kind of a good title as a catch-all for me, I thought, to say, you know, that we were all caught with our pants down in terms of life, and that seemed like an appropriate title. And I wrote the book during the pandemic because I'm a writer as well, and I needed something to do, and I thought about doing it. I'd done an evening for the Screen Actors Guild in Hollywood and talked for an hour and a half and told stories and it seemed to go down very well. And I thought this would make a nice one-man show and started writing it but realized I had about it's a 10-hour show, so I thought maybe I'll write a book instead. Yeah, that's great. As I shared in the intro, you know, laughter is medicine, and there's profound research showing that laughter may help prevent and combat many diseases. That said, how does it feel to be this superhero out there saving people's lives? I hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way. I haven't thought of it that way. I mean, I think whether it be on in a public forum, on television, film, radio, theater, whether you're doing it for a group of people or just in your own life. People like to laugh. They like to be made to laugh. And I'm not, you know, a jokester. I don't walk into social situations and start telling jokes and trying to sell humor. I just, I tend to sort of do it off people and try and generally keep things light. Well, that's the best kind of humor when you, you can just find a hilarity in life. It's not a knock-knock, who's there type of thing. It's just, you know, you lighten up, you embrace life. But remember, with great power comes great responsibility. So don't abuse the LOLs. I mean, you know, you're, <laughs> you've got that superpower here of laughter. And speaking of, a lot of people have lost the ability to laugh, the humorless society. And as I mentioned in the intro, I've interviewed Jay Leno, Howie Mendel, who've both told me that 
stand-up scares them because saying just one thing deemed offensive could end their careers. And even Jeff Ross doesn't want to do celebrity roast because he might offend somebody, but that's what they're for. What's your views on comedians afraid of being funny? How has it affected your career or just your daily talking to people and you got to kind of bite your tongue? To a degree. I mean, I'm sort of old enough now in my 60s that you can get away with such stuff because they just go, you know, oh, he's old. He doesn't know the new rules, which I abuse enormously. I'm of the Ricky Gervais school on this, that comedy should be a safe zone. That said, people are so easily offended. There's younger generations now without trying to sound like an old fogey. They've got to be less precious. There's no question. And I don't want to lecture too much, but If you find offense in everything and you're looking for it, you can find it anywhere. It's silly. And I think Ricky's point is you can always tell whether something's genuinely offensive by the intention of the joke. If the intention is to demean a group of people or to punch down to an oppressed group or a minority just for the sake of it, it's clear. And I think otherwise, I think you should have a license as a comedian to laugh and joke about anything, whether it be death, illness, religion. You just have to be aware that there will be certain people who take offense. But people take offense at everything. I mean, I had someone ask about doing my book as a one-man show. And they said, of course, you're going to have to change the title. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, people will assume it's kind of connected to Harvey Weinstein and sexual things. And I'm, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be doing my play at your theater. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to find offense uh, everywhere. It just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. That said, I think people have to be a little careful. I'm not going to make demeaning remarks about women or gay people or, or any ethnic minority, anybody that is not my group, as it were, or tribe. Because it's just, what's the point? You know, what's the point? That's so true. Yeah, I agree. I think comedians should get a free pass and call it creative uh, offensiveness. I think there's a big difference, like you said, from laughing with people and laughing at them. And that's where you draw the line. And I agree with that. Let me ask you this. One of my favorite shows of all time is Boston Legal. And we had William Shatner on the show. He won two Emmys for his portrayal of Danny Crane. We talked about other shows in the intro that would be considered offensive today. He and I talked. I said, your show wouldn't be allowed on TV today. And, And he agreed. What do you think happened to make a highly acclaimed show from 14 years ago become a detriment to society today? I mean, the same people cringing today are the ones that found it funny in 2008. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I've seen that show a couple of times. I I wouldn't have thought that would be an offensive show. But I mean, certainly shows like All in the Family that you mentioned earlier, people wouldn't get it now. They wouldn't get it. I mean, there's no sense because they take everything on literal face value. You know, it's like Andrew Dice Clay. Was he ever that guy or was he commenting on that guy? It's really sad that we can't comment on society. And satire is supposedly adopting those personas and showing how ridiculous they are. And if you can't do that because people think you are that actual persona, that's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's in the same realm of, well, you're not gay, so you can't play a gay person. You know, you're not handicapped, so you can't play a person with mental handicap. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Pretty soon we'll have no comedians, no actors, no nothing, because everyone's afraid to open their mouth. I'm an unashamed liberal, within reason. But this is an area where I just, I think it's called overwoke. I think woke's a ridiculous word, and no one knows what it is. I think it just means sensitive and aware and empathetic, which is good. It's not a bad word. 
but overwoke is over offended, overly offended, and too easily offended. And I don't agree with that at all. I'm very much against that. And you know, you and I grew up watching Benny Hill and All in the Family and Three's Company. We ended up okay. I mean, the crazy thing is, there's no uproar about these axe murdering, psychopathic serial killers and violent zombie movies out there. Those are okay, but oh, heaven forbid, we have a sitcom with a few dad jokes. <laughs> they got to be nixed. That's going to ruin society. <laughs> it is crazy. Listen, I can understand how jokes go out of fashion and things aren't quite as acceptable as before. And that's fine. But that comedy adjusts, you know, a lot of jokes, whether they're offensive or non-offensive, just don't work today as they did 30, 40 years ago. That's different. But to find offense in everything, I mean, I find it on Twitter all the time, you say the most innocuous things and people are jumping down your throat and then saying far more offensive things back to you. And they always have a little Christian thing next to their <laughs> name. Yeah. You're going, oh, okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, I had a, uh, you know how Facebook pops up four years ago today, five years ago today, the one popped up of a lady tying her shoe. You couldn't see her, her face, but the top of her head looked like glasses and a barrette that looked like a Muppet. And I wrote, does this look like a Muppet tying his shoe? It was got a lot of laughs. I posted it again. You wouldn't believe the accostiveness, the, the shouts of how dare you make fun of this lady. What if you were her? What if you were her grandson? First, you couldn't see her face. She wouldn't have recognized herself. And if she did, she probably would have said, you know, I do look like a Muppet. And she would have laughed. But here's the kicker. Four years prior, I looked and you ready for this, Jim? The same people that were laughing then were the ones accosting me now and unfriending me. The same people. It's not that we never had it. I think people have lost their sense of humor. They used to find stuff enjoyable. So I, I agree with you. I think it's more hypocrisy. I think people still got a sense of humor. They feel obligated. It's like Will Smith was not offended by what Chris Rock said, but he looked at his wife and she was. So then he had to become offended. That's my big bugbear is often the people who are offended are not the actual targets. Dave Chappelle and trans, most trans people had no problem whatsoever with what he said. It was people feeling they ought to be offended on trans people's behalf. That drives me crazy. Yeah, you bring up such a good point because uh, Will was smiling and laughing, and then he looked over and saw his wife, and, and you're right, and that's when it triggered him. It didn't really bother him. Why would he be laughing? So, yeah, that's a good point. He laughed. Yeah. He laughed. And so that being offended because you ought to be because someone else might be is nonsense. If you find it funny, laugh. And, you know, if they don't find it funny, they don't have to laugh. End of story. Move on. Yeah, it's true. And that's why, you know, Sirius Radio has 13 different comedy channels. Go to a next one if that's not your kind of humor. Everyone has a different, you know, yeah, just change the channel. Exactly. And we all have different sense of humor. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to say I've really enjoyed reading your book. And the one thing you mentioned was uh, meeting the famous mime and theatrical icon, Marceau Marceau. <laughs> you said you lost your admiration and found him in real life to be boring and self-involved, not the charismatic person he portrayed. I've noticed that with some of these comedians that I've met. In real life, they're ultra serious and boring introverts, but on stage, they're hilarious. Do you think that some comedians use laughter as a coping mechanism for being insecure and miserable? Oh, no question. No question. And sometimes when they get therapy or they get happy, they're not that funny anymore. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> unusual. I mean, it's sad to say, but people they always say comedy is anger turned sideways, but it is. It's angst turned sideways for sure. But I mean, there was an example recently of a comedian I absolutely love and couldn't wait for his new Netflix special. And he's now happily married and sober and he's clearly got his life together and it wasn't funny it wasn't half as funny as he used to be it made me sad and it's sort of like 
Well, that's probably why I've never become a stand-up comedian because I don't, I don't think I've ever been that tortured. Yeah. Or that masochistic to go up there and have people slap you in the face by saying you're not funny by not laughing. I don't think they necessarily have to be tortured. I mean, my great friend Fred Willard, who I was in Best in Show with, Fred was a genius. I mean, a real comic force. But he wasn't a stand-up. He was a comic actor, principally. And Fred was played this boorish American, the, the ultimate extrovert. In Best in Show, I played the kind of, you know, introverted Englishman next to him. What Fred did was that create this brilliant character of the kind of boorish American who puts his foot in his mouth every 10 seconds. But off screen, Fred was one of the most introverted, quiet, serious people I ever met. And then he would turn it on on a dime. You'd be talking to him at a party, very quiet and very just, you know, almost hard to get, get conversation out of him. And then he had to say something or perform at the party or do something. And this whole other person took over, which is, you know, I think that's another thing too. But that's a little different from, from using stand-up comedy as therapy. Yeah, that's funny how you said that. It made you sad that your favorite comedian was happy because he wasn't funny. <laughs> well, it didn't make me sad that he was happy, but it made me sad that he was no longer that funny. Right. But, you know, also, <laughs> Which doesn't make you happy. It's, it's kind of a weird little, little twist there. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think also, you know, people can go off the boil. It's a bit like kind of uh, pop singers or rock artists. You know, bands just go off the boil. They hate their peak. And there's a few comedians who just, as they age, they're just not as funny. I mean, I am going to name names now because I was, I kind of thought that's lazy. Chris Rock, who I think does a very good stand-up act and has done for years. I saw him when he was, I think, 17. And he was clearly talented and funny and lovely. And his latest special is about as funny as, you know, a colonoscopy without any anesthetic. Wow, yeah. He hit rock bottom, is what you're saying, rock. Oh, yeah. Yes, he yeah. hit rock bottom. And I love a good bottom joke. Yeah, I personally, I use comedy as a survival tool. I was always the shortest kid in class, and I learned early on if I made the bullies laugh, they would think twice about punching me in the nose. From that day on, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Actually, I have to stand up because I'm so short, no one would see me if I'm sitting on stage. I like sit-down <laughs> comedy these days. I'm too old to stand up. There you go. <laughs> I have to stand up. Like, I hear a voice, but I don't see Friedman. Oh, there he is. That's great. You know, you've had this multifaceted career. You mean actor, writer, producer, comedic genius. Looking back, do you recall any particular risk that you took that, you know, had you listened to your naysayers, you may have missed out on? Any kind of I told you so moments you can share? For me, the biggest risk was probably when I first came over to this country, I was just very young. I was 24. I was asked to direct a couple of things. The drama school I'd been to in London opened up a branch in Berkeley. And I came over just principally to direct a couple of things. And while I was there for three months, I decided I would try and do a one-man show, which was something I'd seen in England and had, the writer had said, you can do it in America if you can get anyone stupid enough to produce it. It was about a soccer goalie, and it was at that time soccer was nothing in this country. And I really, really pushed the boat out to get that produced and got turned down by hundreds of theatres. And then, and then finally, someone had a show fall out, and they let me do the show to open their season. And I hired a director and got it up, and it was, it was an immense task. It was an incredibly physical show, an hour and a half, non-stop moving, talking, jumping, diving. And that was probably those kind of risks. That launched my career. The show became a big hit, and it took me to Broadway, and... It literally took me from being absolute nobody 
to having a, a legitimate career on Broadway. That's probably, I think, the biggest risk, entrepreneurial risk I've ever taken. But also, you know, I think in the writing realm, I've, I've written things that people said, oh, don't write that. No one's going to buy it. Sometimes, you know, one of the film in particular I can think of, that my agent said it's a lovely script, but no one's ever going to buy it. And it you know, got made with two major stars. So it's all about taking risks. And I say in the book, one of the conclusions I come on to is that who you are and what your life is, is totally dependent on every choice you make every second of every day. It can be the tiniest of things. It doesn't always have to be a big crossroads choice where you meet a fork in the road and you go, which way do I go? It can be little things every single day. You're making choices every single second of every day, pretty much. And those are the things that ultimately define who you are and what your fate is. Yeah, well said. And probably your agent had to go get his uh, pants dry clean to get the scuff marks off his rear end for kicking himself in the butt. <laughs> no, no. Ag- agents are shameless. They, 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 you, they're like politicians. They'll say one thing one day and then completely forget they've said it the next. So you can't shame them. <laughs> That's fine. Now, you mentioned you know Broadway and you've done so many TV shows and movies. I'm sure when you get people recognizing you, but some aren't quite sure where it's from. What's the funniest thing you've heard when somebody can't pinpoint exactly where they know you from? Well, it is. It is I'm sort of, because I'm a character actor and I pop up here and there, I often get, I know you from somewhere. I think I have a chapter on that in the book. And they'll come up, it'd be a supermarket, and I know you from somewhere. They go, does your kid go to so-and-so school? And I go, no, no, no. And they go, do you work at this restaurant? No, no, I don't, know. And, and then you go through, and then finally you have to sort of say a little reluctantly, I act, I'm an actor, maybe you've seen me in things. And they, and they then say, well, what have you been in? And that's a conversation no actor ever wants to get in, to, to start reciting your resume. Because for me, it could take, you know, about an hour. And then you're sort of justifying your existence to a total stranger. But the best was when a woman said, I know you from somewhere. And, and I said, eventually reluctantly kind of muttered, well, I'm, I'm an actor, so maybe it's that. And she just said with absolute certainty, no, no, it's not that. And, <laughs> and it just made me laugh out loud. It was like, well, okay, then you tell me where you know me from because I don't know who you are. It's like, it was just like, no, 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 you're not, not that. She went through a list. Do you go to the dentist? We Maybe we go to the same dentist. You go, no, you probably saw me in one of the shows that I've, no, no, that's not it. How about, how about yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, in the end, you just go, I, I can't tell you, I'm afraid. That's funny. But most people will, will twig. They'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you now. You were in this or that or whatever. You've played so many different roles. You've done serious. You've done funny in nature. As an entertainer, which do you enjoy most? Do you, do you like t- tapping into your dramatic or comedic side? Well, I started out very much doing comedy. That I had an, If I have any natural gifts, and I have very few, one is timing. I do have good comic timing, and I always did. And that's something I don't think you can teach. In my early years, I was often in comedy plays. I was, I was in Noises Off on Broadway and stuff like that. And so things like sitcoms were gift to me when I first came to Hollywood. That was where I fit in. Oddly, in the last 10 years, I've probably done more drama. So maybe my face is now one that terrifies people rather than um, makes them laugh. Because <laughs> <laughs> actually, I've done quite a few kind of psychological thrillers or horror films. So I don't know. But I think you find that a lot. I mean, I remember, you know, Robin Williams started to do more serious roles as he got older. Jim Carrey. I mean, Will Ferrell, a lot of comic actors do end up doing more serious work as they get older. Yeah. Is there a particular movie or TV show that you've been part of that you enjoyed working on the most? 
Is there one that you look back and fond memories of? Yeah, some of them are not particularly well known. I mean, the, the series that you mentioned for HBO, Family Tree, I really enjoyed that experience. That was something I wrote with Christopher Guest, and we produced it, and we were both in it. And it had a lot of his troupe from Best in Show and Mighty Wind and all the films. That was a lovely experience because it was a holistic experience. I was involved on every single level, and I was very proud of that show, as was Chris. So that, I would say, there's a movie I did called See This Movie with Seth Meyers, John Cho, Jesslyn Gilsig, Jessica Paré, and myself. There was the five of us. It's a tiny independent movie that cost an apple, an orange, and a pencil to make. And I really enjoyed that. And it was, I think it's a fun, independent movie. There's so many things. I mean, there's, there's been so many good experiences. Such a good title of a movie, See This Movie. It's like we have a restaurant that's so popular, it's called Eat Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just like telling you. It's like, how do you not, how do you not see this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. The minute we have left, anything else you'd like to share with the listeners about your book or anything else we didn't cover today? All I can say is that people inside the business, outside the business, seem to love it. So I don't think it's a book for people who are involved in show business or want to be involved in show business. I do think it's a book that appeals to everybody. It's an easy read. It's a great beach read. It's a great train read, a plane read. You'll finish it in two or three sittings, and I think it will lighten your life. Well said. Thanks so much for joining us today. I applaud you for your mission on helping add more healthful comedy to people's lives. Hopefully people can just lighten up a little bit more and just enjoy it. It's a great read. Hope people get a copy. And, you know, it doesn't take up much memory in the brain to laugh. It just takes one giggle bite. But um bump head in. Very good. <laughs> the book is called Caught With My Pants Down and Other Tales from a Life in Hollywood. You can learn more and get your copy at jimpiddick.com and you can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Jim Piddick. On Twitter, he's at Real Jim Piddick. And for my daily health post, follow me at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. And I'm now on TikTok at Dr. Funny Bones. Come and check out my videos of hilarity and laugh some. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast available at toyougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com. And be sure and check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. As I always say, sharing is caring. Don't keep this info to yourself. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay well, stay tuned, and keep smiling.